You're listening to the Enterprising Expat stories of women who packed up their lives and moved abroad for love, a job, or a fresh start. What does it take to build a new life and business in a new country? What does it take to go from finding your feet to thriving? Find out how each woman did it. Be inspired, whether you're an expat or digital nomad, to bloom where you're planted. So, welcome. We are just going to go through your story and let's start it off um, by by you just introducing yourself. Okay. Well, my name is Janine Christie. I am English born, but I moved to Canada when I was two. So I'm pretty much full-fledged Canadian. My parents are Jamaican. So it's like Jamaican, English-born Canadian. And I'm living in Valencia, Spain. And I've been living here for about the past 13 years. And I'm married to a Welsh man. And I met him here when I when I came to Spain. And we fell in love. And I decided not to go back to Canada and stay here with him. So I consider myself to be a love pat. <laughs> Ah, yes. All the advantages and disadvantages of that. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard that phrase. I, I oh. like it. Yes, I love. <laughs> yes, that is so much better than trailing spouse. Well, I never, ever considered myself a trailing spouse. So I never called myself that, but not because it's negative. It's just because it wasn't my story. I came here. I quit my job and sold my house and everything in Canada to come here to see if you know, I wanted to live here. And in the process of staying here, I decided I didn't want to live here and I was going to go back. (laughs) I made, I made the decision to go back. I'm like, Nope, don't like it. But, um, I don't know. I I was running low on funds and I thought I want to shore up the bank account before I go back. So I wasn't going back and living in my parents' basement. So I went to go get a job at a, a language school and I walked in and the person that interviewed me is the person that eventually became my husband. So it's a bit different. I came here on my own. I decided to go back. I met someone, fell in love, and I decided to stay to keep the relationship going. So I, I wasn't trailing. Tell me about the motivation that makes you leave quite a comfortable life and decide to jack it all in for traveling? It's so funny because first of all, everyone, all my family, all of my friends, except for my parents, they were very good. They all thought it was crazy because, and I probably did it in a very stupid way. I didn't really know the language. I did take Spanish lessons before I left. So I had like a basic understanding. And when I did come to Spain, I first went to Malaga and did a month's intensive course in a school just to have some kind of foundation before I came to Valencia. So I could speak enough to, you know, get a rental contract. But I mean... The simplest way to explain why I left this comfy thing to come here, it's going to sound so simplistic, but I hate winter. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I couldn't take it anymore. And I just got fed up one day and I was like, I'm moving to Spain. It was as simple as that. What made you choose Spain over Portugal, over Italy? It's sunny. And I lived in London for about a year. So I was an expat there many, many moons ago. And I had been traveling around Europe uh, when I wasn't doing temp work. And I remember coming to Spain. I was like, "Mm, I like it here. Oh, I could learn a new language, you know, and it was just something that was different. And I thought Spanish would be easier to learn than Portuguese. Yeah. And it's even easier to learn than French. Um, So it's just I just thought new country, good climate. The people seem nice. 
you know, everyone's always raving about Spanish food. So I, I just went, okay, I'll go to Spain. And if I don't like it, I'll come back home. I had the plan to come back. It was just basically a trial. So if it didn't work out, I didn't really care. That's all the thought I really put into picking Spain. Sound, <laughs> sounds dumb, but, you know. I think it sounds happened. brave. I think it sounds, I think there's a lot of people always planning to travel that never get around to it. There's a lot of people <laughs> planning to leave their jobs. And I get it. I get it that never get around to it. But I think well, it sounds brave. Probably one extra element to that. I had been in a PR communications job for quite a few years for a Canadian charity. And I'd gotten to the point where I couldn't really progress in my career at that point in time. But I had racked up enough years of experience that I could then leave there and go and apply for like a management type position in communication. So I thought, let me take a break, go to Spain, see if I like it. And if not, I can go back and I still had everything on my CV to apply for a higher uh, management level job in communications when I went home. So I think I'd racked in enough professional years in Canada that if I took like an eighth month little gap, I could go back and still get a job. Right. So that was probably, I was a bit steadier in my career or my level of experience CV wise or resume wise that I could take a little bit of a break. So that's probably the other factor to why I picked Spain um, 13 years ago, just the level I was at in my career. If you had gone back to Canada, would that, how would that eight, eight month gap have looked? Because here, it seems in the US, from what I've heard, when you've been overseas and you come back, your overseas experience doesn't count for Jack. They, they, it just doesn't matter. They don't care. Well, I was doing a lot of volunteer work. Um, I, what I, I took a volunteer job um, in literacy, helping immigrants learning English. And that kind of parlayed into a job here uh, teaching English. So I could still have used my teaching skills and my grammar skills and all that and use that back in Canada in a communications job. So it wasn't like it was going to be something that nobody would recognize. Right. I could have I, I could have like in an interview talked my way into showing how it was a good thing. So I, I didn't think that was going to be a problem. I don't know because I never got to go back. So maybe it would have been a problem, but I, can, I can't say if it would or it wouldn't because I never did it. But I, I just didn't worry about an eighth month gap on the CV just because I was still staying in communications and teaching in English while I was here in Spain. It was still something I could put on the CV plus another language skill. So that looks good when you're in the communications field. Let's wheel it back a few years mm -hmm. and you get to London with your life partner slash best friend, who we will speak about. She um, is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she sounds awesome. What does it feel like to you? What exactly? What does what like London? landing in the UK? Yeah, London. Does it does oh. it does one big city translate to another, or was there a different? London is London. There's no other place like London. And I had been there many times because I was born in Birmingham, but I had a lot of relatives that were living in London. So I was always going back and forth between Canada and London and, and Birmingham. So I was very comfortable being in the UK. And London was my favorite city. So I knew what I was getting myself into when I moved there. You're saying all the right things because that's my that's my home. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. But after uh, maybe you won't like me now because after a year of living there, I was like, I have to go back home. This city is driving me insane. <laughs> You're right. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was just 
woo, I think because um, I really settled in and I rented a place and I shared an apartment. I had a nine to five job, um, you know, working in an office. I had friends. They had offered me a full time job. I could have stayed in London if I wanted to. But my li- living situation became absolutely insane and crazy where my roommate tried to murder her husband by pushing him off the balcony of her bedroom. And the police were around at my house every day looking for the hammer that she tried to kill him with. And it just got really, really crazy living in London. So my best friend and I were like, yep, screw this. And we booked a trip to Greece (laughs) and we went away. We came back, we lived with friends and we tried to make it work in London. But where we were living, it was outside of the center, um, city center. We had to take the train and the, the, the our, it was so expensive in London to take yeah. the, with the transportation. I couldn't afford to take the train into work to pay rent and all that. I, it was just, it was just too expensive. And I just had enough. And we were just like, let's just go back home to Canada. We'd, we'd had our fun and we, we went home. Yeah, I can see how the hammer might have stopped the, the, the fun. What, yeah. Not to get into other people's shit, but was yeah. that ever resolved? <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, she got arrested and she had her she had moved her ex-boyfriend in with her husband and they were all living in the same room. So that was fun. <laughs> and so they arrest they arrested her and the ex-boyfriend, the husband, uh, sorry, the boyfriend. The husband was recuperating in the hospital. I think he'd broken his leg. And the detective or whatever, sergeant, I don't know what the terminology is in the UK for that. Um, he phoned me at work and he said, Janine, we don't have any witnesses to the crime or the alleged crime. So we're going to be letting them out of jail this evening. So I just wanted you to know. So basically I hightail at home. My, my best friend and I put all of our stuff into garbage bags and we called a taxi and we left that place for good. And we slept on the floor of my workmate's apartment for two weeks and then we went to Greece. So I have no idea if, if it was resolved because it didn't sound like they were getting charged with anything or convicted of anything. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, get- I was just, I'm out of here. <laughs> From there, the only way is up. Yeah, and up for me was Greece. Like, yeah. I did try to make it work. When I came back from Greece, I thought, you know, someone offered us a, um, rooms in her amazing house in Kent and rent free. This was actually my best friend's um, work colleague. And she's like, just come stay with me. She was an American married to an English guy. She's like, come stay with me. We have all the rooms. So we moved in there. It was great, but it was just the train fare to get into the city center. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford that and actually live and do things. Yeah. And I thought this place is insanely expensive. I'm going to go home now. <laughs> yes. Of all the places you've lived and the different things they look for in quality of life. What have Mm. you learned to appreciate? What differences do you now take on as your own? Quality of, because everyone always talks about quality of life being Mm -hmm. the most important thing and quality of life in Spain. That's why a lot of people move because it's a little bit cheaper to live here, but the salaries are quite low. But people that move here say their quality of life is better. And I would tend to agree it is, but I did not realize that. And this sounds really horrible, but it took me 13 years to realize that my quality of life in Spain was better than it was in Canada. And because I went to back to Canada this summer. I was there for three months. So I had quite a long time there to spend with my friends and my family. And I started talking to a lot of my friends and 
every person I talked to hated their job, but they were too scared to leave because they had not been part of the interviewing process for so long. They were scared. So they were stuck in really miserable jobs. They had to travel to work an hour and a half to two hours each way. You know, the winters were becoming worse and worse. And I just, I thought, wow, I don't have the same problems that these people have in Canada. I could set my own hours because I was working at my husband's language school. I picked my own students. I didn't even have a boss. I had sunshine. You know, I lived in the city center so I could walk everywhere. We have excellent transportation because we have metro, the bus, or I could just walk to work. So then I really started to see the quality of life I was having in Spain, but not until this summer, which is quite sad. Uh, you know what? It's it's a gradual process. I know that I am, to, to cherry pick the word privileged, but sometimes mm. my life here pisses me off. And I'm sorry, yeah. that's, that's what it is. It pisses Definitely. me off. I, I, I know I'm luckier than some people, but hey, it's my but life. This is it. Well, this is why with my blog, um, I write about the stuff that pisses me off, but in a very funny way, because I don't want to blame Spain for it. It's basically my expectations as an expat moving to Spain. And it's constantly because you're comparing it to your home country, which if you do, you're going to fail in your expat life. So my blog is all funny stories about all the problems that I encounter because my expectations are not too high, but they're they're not realistic because I'm using expectations I would have if I lived in Canada. And you can't do that in Spain because it's a completely different country, different way of thinking, different culture. So that's what I write about. But I'm not the type of expat that's going to lie and say it's all rainbows and unicorns like a lot of expats like to do, which I think is bullshit. That's just lying. You're lying to other people and you're lying to yourself. I am a truthful person. So I'm going to tell people what the hell is going on here in Spain for me as an expat. But I just wrap it up in a funny story so it's not negative. But it's not perfect to be an expat if you live in a culture that's different from your own. There's a lot of shit. Yeah. Yes. And I think people should start talking about it because everyone at home, your relatives and your friends are like, oh, you know, you're just sitting on a terrace drinking wine every day and, you know, waking up at 11 o'clock and your life is perfect. Well, first of all, nobody's life is perfect. And just because you move to another country that has more sun ain't going to make your life perfect. There's other problems that you encounter in a different culture. What was the thing that hit you hardest when you'd made up your mind to stay in Spain? Work. I, ha I think it was the opportunities towards different types of work in Spain were very, I mean, I came just before the financial crisis and just before the bottom fell out of the Spanish economy. Wow. So, I mean, it was, it was like so difficult for Spanish people to get jobs. So, and then there's me. So the job opportunities were and still are difficult to come by. And the pay in Spain is a lot lower than a lot of other countries. So for me, that was like, whoa. It was it was hard because I really didn't have any other option besides being an English teacher. And that was only good for so long. I don't find it fulfilling for me. And I wanted to get back to what I did in Canada, what my skills were, what I went to university and college for. I wanted to use my skills. So that's why I started the blog so I could get back into writing. And now I'm writing more and more and more. And I'm going to start. Um, I'm about to launch my freelance writing um, services Ew. because I want I want to get back to me and what I'm good at, but it has to be online and it has to be for an international clientele because um, the opportunities here in Spain are limited. 
Okay, that 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 makes sense. That makes sense. So the transition and and how you are feeling from you're a language teacher to actually working out a plan to get back to who you are and your skills. Well, I had help. I couldn't do it on my own. And uh, somehow I came across a woman. Am I allowed to mention her name? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Her name is Sunday Bean. She has a very hilarious name. We joke about it all the time. Sunday Bean. I know. She's just, she's amazing. I mean, she's not a life coach. I don't like that term. She's, I think she's an intercultural strategist, but she deals with expats and a lot, a lot of expat spouses that are trying to reignite their careers or just a passion in their life. So I hired her and I started to work with her and I mean, she is amazing and she is the one that helped me kind of focus in on what I wanted to do with my life, what, what kind of purpose I wanted so I could drag my ass out of bed every morning and not be depressed and know what I was going to do. So she helped me a lot. That's interesting. Tell me about what your depression looked like Ugh. and some of the tools you used to, to bring yourself back to your normal. Valium! <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds horrible, but I didn't sleep properly for about two years, but I hid it really well from everyone. I would wake up in the morning, I'd have my breakfast, my husband would go off to work, and then I'd go back to bed and watch The Simpsons for like seven hours yep. because that's the only thing that would make me laugh. And then I would turn off The Simpsons, my husband would come home, we have dinner, and I'd go to bed and lie in bed and not sleep. And that happened for about two years. And I it was just, but it was a depression nobody else saw, but yeah. I knew I was having depression. So I finally went to the doctor and I told him I can't sleep. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to give you a little prescription for Valium just so you can get back into uh, you know, a sleep pattern. And that was the first step into me becoming normal again and the depression starting to lift because I actually got some sleep. Yeah. And yeah. then from that, I started to kind of, I went on Facebook a lot and I found a lot of different expat groups. Some of them were horrible where there are a lot of trolls and they're mean. And there were some other ones that were speaking the truth about how expat life really was. And then through that, I found Sunday Bean and then started her, her program. And then from that, I can't, I've pretty much come out of the uh, depression now, but it was about two years of a deep depression, but it was, I probably had it before, before that, but didn't know. It's insidious, isn't it? I I, yeah. I also went through the same thing in the last country I was in. We were living in this beautiful place in this beautiful flat. It was amazing. And I mean, it was just the two of us and we could go out to dinner each night, you know, if we wanted to. So it was good and glossy on the outside, but I had no one to talk to. I had mm-hmm. no friends and it's not a comfortable place to be no. if you do not look like the people that live there. That's what I hated. So then I started isolating myself. Yeah, I I, I isolated myself too. I, I just never left the apartment. And I think when I went on the street, everything was like weird for me because everyone was speaking a different language. Although I have a certain level of Spanish now that I think is okay, I can get by. It was just, I'd go on the street and everything just seemed really hard and bright. And I would just go back to my apartment because it was safe and I could control everything. And I just stayed there. Wow. Yeah. So expat life is not an extended holiday, people. No, gosh, no. No, life becomes life. As soon as you settle somewhere and you wake up every day in that place, it becomes a regular life. 
Absolutely. And the most important thing is you have to have a social network and you have to have a routine. Routine sounds boring. And I bet you a lot of people left their home country to go to an expat country because they hated routine. But routine will keep you sane. Yes. Yes. As long as you're not spending seven hours watching TV. Like exactly. Did, if it's there, yes. then you know what? Fine. The internet is an amazing thing. I'm not sure how expats did it before Facebook, <laughs> but there are resources for you to, to there use are. and get help. Okay. So before we go into the whole mental health thing, because I'll just go off on a tangent. Um, you're working with Sunday and what... How did you, what were the building blocks that you, you sort of came up with for your business idea? I mean, did you have to, did you move from thinking like, I want to be employed in what I want to, in what I used to do to, I want to have a business? She starts you out very, very slowly, it gives you different steps that you have to take. And you can't go to the next step until you do the first step. But she started out very, very basic. What do you want to do? Oh, I don't know. Well, what are you good at? And of course, an expat going through depression is, I'm not good at anything. The system that she uses, it makes you look at yourself black and white. And then it just starts to like materialize this image of yourself and you're like, oh my God, I do have skills. You just, for me, I hadn't used the skills in PR and communications for so long. I thought that they were dead. Yes. Yes. And they're not. You get to that point or I got to that point where I thought, my degree and my skills aren't relevant anymore. Yes, exactly. And when you think like that, you you can't do anything. Yeah, but it's also sort of the tone when you go visit home as well, do you, did mm-hmm. you find you were straddling to environments? Like you had your life in Spain and then you visit home, but you, you don't have that same place or you don't fit in as easily as you do back in Canada. Yeah. The first few years when I would go back to Canada, I would slot right back into life with my friends and my family. I felt like, you know, I was still comfortable being in Canada. But the more time you spend living in another country, I mean, I think it's just a natural thing. You have to pick one place as home. And I think little by little, I just started having more friends in Spain. So I had a social network. Um, I don't know. It's really hard to just, I don't know the point at when I thought, I'm not really fitting in in Canada. I fit more in in Spain, but it did happen. But I can't tell you when it was. I just can say I feel like that now. Probably because I'm happier in Spain now. So now I can I can call it home now. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with that. So I can only call one place home. But, but then maybe that's the step, like deciding to call one place home. And yeah. Canada is where you came from, but Spain is most definitely home. Yeah, it, it, my husband is here, you know, um, I have a lot of friends now here. Um, you know, I have a job now, but I mean, it's not dependent on being in Spain because it's online, but because I do my job here in Spain, I feel like I have my job here in Spain. So all of those things, which are routine, which help you stay settled, that makes you, um, call it home. It happens when the people that you you message the most day in, day out are actually in the country that you're living in. 
I think so. I think one of the most important things, it's not just you and your spouse. It's just, it doesn't matter how much you love each other. It's too much pressure on the other person, first of all, to be like the end all to your happiness. It's way too much pressure. You have to make an effort to go find other people to talk to. Yeah. But it takes time and you have to like, you know, kind of like, I talk about it on my blog about you have to interview friends. Like it's almost like a job interview, but you're interviewing, interviewing people to be your friend. I read it. It was hilarious. <laughs> but that's what it feels like. And you'll sit there in a coffee shop because you always meet for coffee and they tell you about them and you tell your, them about you and you sit there and in your head, you're like, I do not like this person. I do not want to see them again. <laughs> you know? Move on to the next person to interview. Thank God for coffee. So, Thank God for coffee. Otherwise yeah, it would be know? lunch. Exactly. And that's just too long <laughs> with someone you don't like and too much money spent on a horrible lunch. Okay. So but, tell me about your, your interviewing friends and, and how this process started for you and how it went. Well, I went through a lot of expat meetup groups and I hated all of them. I just found the people to be weird. <laughs> but I I got lucky and I went to one meetup for expats and I started talking to this woman and we got along, but she never went back to that expat group. And I never went back to that expat group because in general, we didn't like the group. Two years later, I went to another expat group for lunch and she sat down beside me and we looked at each other. We're like, Hey, it's you. And then we started to become friends. And then, I don't know, we just started to grow both of us started to grow our friendship base from there. She added friends into my circle. I added friends into her circle. And then just kind of like grew and grew and grew. But I think because I finally had friends I could talk to on a daily basis and I started to feel like a human being again, I became, it became easier to just meet people in different places, not expat groups and just start talking to people and becoming friends because now I have so many friends since I've come back from Canada I said to my husband it's been like a friend palooza and I have been out every single day I'm exhausted <laughs> I think because I've been away for three months and my friends are like I haven't seen you in three months and it's just like I need a break <laughs> so today I'm like staying home I don't want to talk to anyone but you on this podcast and then I don't know I'm gonna watch an Avengers movie or something in my living room and just and now I have like so many friends I'm just like what the heck is going on here yeah, like it's too much I didn't need all of you like, just but five. I'm grateful I won't complain I won't complain I am grateful I have all these friends and they're good friends and they get me. I don't have to like dumb down my personality or soften it. Yes. And I hate doing that because I have a very strong personality and I want to be with people that get my personality. If you don't, then nice to meet you. Nice to know you. Bye bye. Yeah. Yeah. I unfortunately am always going to be the last person to get the joke. I can live with it. I think you can live with it too. Like I'm not going to apologize anymore. No, it's just you get to an age where you're like, if you don't like me, I really don't give a shit. Yes. You know, I'm like, it's fine. I don't care. I'm going to edit that bit out. These are our tips for expat women. Your social life, build it separately from your partner. Would you say that? Yes. That that would definitely, definitely be. Um, your skills stay with you. Yes. Find out what they are. And if you need, I mean, there's so many courses online now that can help you kind of freshen them up a little bit. Find out what your skills are, what you used to be good at. Write them down on a piece of paper. Probably most of them are still relevant or you can tweak them in another way. Take some courses and get back out there. Let That's my pet peeve, sort of. Let me explain. So the courses, 
I like the courses and I, well, you have to decide which one's a, a bullshit yes, course and yes. which one's a real course. But when you're I starting was, yes. out, how many yeah, shitty courses did you do? Oh my God. I was just having this conversation. My husband's nephew, he's 22. He's staying with us for two weeks and he's in um, digital marketing, mm. which is kind of part and parcel of what I have to do now. And we were talking about the courses and I was saying, I have a very high or strong bullshit meter. I can kind of tell right away if something's bullshit or not if I'm allowed to say that yeah. word. And um, there's just, because of social media and everyone wanting to create an online career or job for themselves, they're taking a free course and then bing, bang, boom, they create a website where they're now a master or a guru of yeah. something. And that course is bull. Yeah. But there, there's just so many. So when you're looking at the courses out there, you really have to figure out if these people know what they're talking about. Hmm. Yeah. You have to you have to weed out the crap online courses for the real courses. But it's 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 a process. Do you agree? I no, I I agree. I'm sorry. The only reason I was quiet is because I muted my mic. I was laughing because <laughs> <laughs> No, I and that was like it's the one thing that frustrates me now looking yeah. back. But I didn't have any money. Oh God, that was another thing. I didn't have any money. So I, I was actually, I had to ask my husband for money to do these courses as well. And so no, 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 that, that, that was just a thing that, you you know, I'd always had my own money and then to suddenly. Oh yeah. Ask somebody for. It's torture, isn't it? Oh God. It's like the worst diarrhea you have ever had. It just, yeah, it's like your, your self-worth is like, in the toilet. <laughs> yes, yes. And then yes. It's, it's also like, how do you maintain that sense of self-worth that isn't yeah. related to money? But that's Totally. Uh, yes. And then I'm going to say props to my husband. He didn't see a problem. Neither did mine. <laughs> like, like, he, we have, like, this we have was, excellent husbands. <laughs> yes. This was my, I'm going to say this was my issue and it's a valid issue, but it, it, I was never made to feel like I was a burden, but it was just that that's a part of who I am. Yeah. Um, so I was on courses. Yes. So we're both lucky, but I don't think if you are married to someone and you're in a good marriage and you have gone to another country because of their job, I think it's their responsibility to be supporting you financially if you want to do a course. Yes. I'm so I don't think you should feel any shame in saying, hey, you know, husband or hey, wife. You've got this great, fantastic job. I followed your ass here. My career is dead. Give me some money. Let me do something. Yeah. I want to do this course. And they should say yes. yes and that's dear. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's just say that somebody is is um, looking for somebody to do copywriting for them, looking for somebody to do PR for them, or, or they mm-hmm. want to do a course in it. And they found this mm-hmm. fabulous course on the internet that's been thrown at them in a Facebook group. How do they decide whether it's the best thing since sliced bread or whether it's a piece of crap? That is a tough question. I mean, I don't know if I can answer that question yet because I am still taking courses and I think I have a good uh, bullshit meter and I'll take a course. I'm like, that one's crap. I'll take a course and that one's good. It's all your gut. You have to really trust your gut. And when it's too simplistic, I mean, try and and research all the free information that you can on a topic before you take a course. 
because there's so much free stuff out there that's just on YouTube or whatever. That's not a course. It's just free and you can find it. Once you have a basic understanding of that, when you go to a course, if it's just a regurgitation of all that stuff that you found for free, you know, it's garbage. Yeah. But if you're actually seeing stuff that you've never heard of before, from your research, then you know you're going to learn something. As long as you're learning something you didn't know before, then it's a value. Yes. But you need to do some basic research. Like if you want to know about digital marketing, well, then find out all the free stuff. And there's tons of it. There's Facebook groups. There's YouTube. There's websites. There's tons that you can do just for free. I mean, if you um, have a library card, there's a lot of usually free online courses through your library that you can use. Yeah. Before, before you go to a paid course, yes. do all the free stuff you can. You, I mean, and if you are starting at ground zero and you take a, a freebie course and it's not even like stellar, you're still learning something. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that because I always decide like when I look at a course, can I teach myself this yeah. or do I really want to pay and just get it out of the way? And when I was starting out, it was definitely, I can teach myself. What else was I going to do yeah. with those seven Yeah. Hours? Teach yourself. And, um, you know, you have to go with some reviews. I mean, look at the reviews of some courses, go on some Facebook groups and you can just post a lot of questions. I want to take a course in copywriting. You'll get back like 75 answers. And these are courses that they are not selling themselves that they have done and they've recommended. And then you go and you research them. So let's jump back into when and how did you start your blog? Okay. So I was working with Sunday and she's like, so what do you get up? Blah, blah, blah. What did you used to do in Canada? I'm like, well, I worked, I mean, I I went to university, I have a degree in psychology, degree in sociology. Then I did a post-grad in public relations communications. And I worked in PR marketing communications for many years for um, a Canadian charity. So I put all that down on a piece of paper and she's like, hello, duh, you can write. And I'm like, yeah, so. (laughs) I was like, so what? And she's like, write, you idiot. Do you know how many people do copywriting and content writing as a business? I'm like, really? So she's like, okay, let's see if you can still write. So I, uh, maybe a year before I had a bought a um, domain name with the, the hopes of doing a blog, but I just sat there and twiddled my thumbs and didn't do anything. Yes. So I, I started to write blog posts and I started to send it out to other people. And I kept getting back the same comments like, oh my God, I feel the same way that you write like how I feel, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, I better start this blog. So then I hired a web designer, got them to set up the blog and I just started writing. And I just, I remembered how much I loved writing. And I also remembered I'm damn funny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought, and I was like, crap, I'm, I'm funny. And I liked the stuff that I was reading, but people were responding so well to it. And then she's like, Shanine, and now you know that you can still write. So let's start building up your plan to have a writing business, a content and copywriting business. And then we just went from there. So what is this evolution looking like? How, how is it working for you? How are you feeling? Um... I mean, I would lie. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous. You have to be. You're starting a new venture. You're poking your head out there for people to say you're good or you suck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's just like, and I'm at that point. I have got two new clients now um, that I'm working on doing content and copywriting for their websites. So I'm very happy. So I have two clients. 
but you know, I'm still nervous in doing it. I want to prove to myself that I can give people what they need. And that's the stage that I'm in now. So, you know, we'll see, but I, I, I dove into the deep end. I went out, I talked to my uh, expat network, found out who needed help with their websites. They were reading my blog and they liked my style of writing. And that's what they wanted as their voice or their vibe for their company. So we gelled as, as a service provider and a client. So then I went from there, pitched to them, got the, these two jobs, and I'm in the process of rewriting their websites. How many different skills have you had to learn on the fly not realizing that all of this so funny this i had this other this conversation again today with uh my husband's nephew because he's young (laughs) he's 22 and he's in digital marketing so he knows probably a lot more of what i need to know so he looked at my website and i started asking him all these questions he's like this 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 so i just started making a list of all the things i'm gonna have to become proficient in so i can provide the best possible service to my clients and it was like oh and he's like yes janine as a freelancer it's difficult because you have to be an expert at everything yes You can't pass it off to anyone else. You're going to have to know SEO. You're going to have to know digital marketing. You're going to have to know, you know, you're going to be, you know, top proofreader, editor, all these things you have to know on your own. I think I've got a good handle on quite a few of them, but I want to like hone my skills even, even more. So I'm taking more and more courses so I can just get better and better and better. I'm feeling validated now because I'm running a business, but I am still taking courses and God bless but her. But you should be. God bless her. Anyone, but anyone that's running a business that's still not learning, they're idiots and you shouldn't be hiring them. Very true. Very true. But there are some courses that I look at them. I'm like, that's great. My VA is going to learn that and implement it for me. <laughs> because I really like, I also have to find clients. I also have yes, to find definitely. clients. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's also, it's always um, a learning. I, I don't know. You, you're just always learning. What have you learned about yourself through this whole oh, period? I've learned a lot. I've learned. Well, first of all, that my skills are still relevant. And, you know, when you're a little bit older, I'm 48 now, and there's a lot of younger people doing what I'm doing. You kind of get a complex that the younger people might be doing it better than you. But that's not true. Oh, God. That is not true. I have so much more experience that than they do. And they're still going through learning those things. And I've already done it. I've been in the corporate, you know, structure. I've I have my education in communications. I've had work experience in communications. I have all that. That doesn't disappear. Yes. It's just maybe my um, network has shrunk a little bit. So your skills are still there. And I've learned that um, it's not as hard to get out there and build your network up again. Because I'm finding, I think I'm, I don't know, I'm a pretty social person. And I've just gone out and been talking to people, you know, about what I've been doing. And a lot of people are just like, oh, well, yeah, I read your blog and you write really well. And do you think that maybe you could take a look at my website and maybe come up with some new content with me? And it's just like kind of spinning. So I'm finding I'm good at networking. Um, My skills are still relevant. And being older for me is a plus. Yeah. Yeah. I'm far more confident about saying this is who I am. This is what I do. If you don't understand it, um, then I'm not for you. And you're also more confident in um, what you charge, like how you value 
what you know, because maybe someone that's 22 and just out of school will be doing a lot of free work and working for very low, you know, hourly an hourly rate. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. I've got the experience. Uh, I'm solid in my writing. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm writing about. So I'm not, I'm not going to devalue what I do. And this is my price. And that's what you're going to pay. Yes. Yes. Because I'm good. And if you like me, like, why'd you come to me in the first place? Because you like how I can write. Well, then you're going to pay me for that. I'm not, you know, yeah. you, can't, you can't devalue your work just because you're getting back into it. If you have value to give to a client or a customer, they need to pay for that value. You give them value, they pay for it. So you have to be very confident in your abilities. And I think I am. Yes, that's something I touched on in another interview a while back. And it's like finding that balance between when you're starting out. But I guess you weren't really starting out, you were going back to Yes, I was going back to but I still think it still comes down to having confidence in your skills or confidence that you can learn these skills. And once you have them, you can then be in the workforce. Yes. Now tell me about your ideal client. Who do you love to work for and who is not a great fit? (laughs) It's funny because that's really important to me because I have a certain style of writing. (laughs) Um, I like working with people that want to have fun with how they connect with their customers. Yes. You know, I've got two, I've got different levels of writing. It's called salty language or unsalty. I offer two different kinds, <laughs> you know, and if you read my blog, you will know what I mean by salty, but I can do it in a, in an unsalted way where it's just funny, but I find maybe because of the expat depression, I responded to things when things made me laugh. If I was reading something or if I was looking at something, if it made me laugh, I connected to it. And that's the way I like to write. So I want to work with different companies, different clients, entrepreneurs that want to connect with their clients through humor. Love it. And the kind of understanding their personal experience as an expat, but always with humor. Because when someone can laugh, you've immediately got a connection. And that's the kind of people I want to work with. Even if it was a corporation, you can still have light and fun and slightly cheeky copy that will resonate with, with your clients. They'll remember it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's the kind of client I want to work with. That's a bit of, you know, isn't so black and white and dry. I don't really want dry. Yeah. So looking for people that like it a little bit juicy. (laughs) Okay. Tell me how people can contact you and and about you know where we can find your work and your blog and social media and things like that okay so my blog i'll i'll spell it <laughs> it's called my expectations so it's m y e x p a t a t i o n s dot com my expectations that's the blog if you go onto facebook you just type in my expectations you'll find me twitter is at my expectations and instagram is at my expect expectations. So it's all really simple ways to find me. If you can remember my expectations, you can find me. 
<laughs> and this is where we can also find out, you know, about how to hire you as a... Yes. Okay. If you go to my blog at the moment, since I'm just launching, I have a services page on my blog. I'll eventually be creating a whole different website just for my services or a landing page where people will just look at my services and I'll put my portfolio of my writing and my past clients um, on the website. But I've just launched. I'm in the middle of doing work for two clients. So right now, if you want to hire me, you would go to myexpectations.com and go to the services page and you can find um, the way to contact me there. Super, super. I always like people to say it. So thank you. Definitely. Right. Quick file. On your travels, the oddest thing that you've ever eaten? <sighs> mm, frog's legs, I guess. Yes. I haven't had anything too weird. See, what I think is weird is, is, is not, I mean, I'm Jamaican, so we'll have oxtail and cow foot. People will think that's weird, but for me, that's not weird. Interesting. You know, but someone else might be like, what the heck? You're eating the foot of a cow? So that might be exotic for some people. But that's normal, traditional Jamaican food for me. <laughs> True. Uh, in my culture, we eat most things, Judd. I don't even want to go down that road. No, I mean, we, we eat, you know, but, every, you know. Yeah. I think you should just try everything. If you don't like it, then don't eat it again. Who cares? What's um, the best kept secrets where you are? In, is it Valencia? Yes, I'm in Valencia. The best kept secrets. Oh, best kept secrets. That is a tough one. I will say one thing that people probably don't think is a big deal, but the central market that they have here to be able to shop there every day and do your grocery shopping there is is you're not going to get that anywhere else. We have one of the best markets in all of Europe. And you can just, I mean, I have a fishmonger, I have a butcher. I know where to get my bread. I know where to get like a specific type of onion and it's cheap. So a lot of people might not know to visit there or buy things from there, but it is amazing. It's the central market in the, in the center of Valencia. Okay. Okay. And then when is your power hour? Like your, your best time for you to for work? work? Yeah. Um, after I've had, um, I first, I get up, I have a cup of tea, I have my breakfast, I take a shower and then I sit down and I start working. So the morning is definitely my, my time to be creative. The one food that you miss. I know, I know already good chicken wings. I spent, I was there for three months. Do you know how much weight I gained because I ate so many chicken wings in Canada? Every time I went out to a restaurant with my best friend, I feel sorry for her because the waitress or waiter would come up and they're like, what do you want? I'm like, chicken wings. And my best friend's like, again? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Rating chicken wings. <laughs> I miss pie. A good old I just, fashioned I can't get good chicken wings here. Pie. Nope. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. And then one thing that you, hmm, you find difficult about traveling. You know what? I used to love traveling. And I cannot say I have a huge passion for it anymore. And honestly, it's the airlines. I mean, I'm just so scared every time I book a ticket that when I want to go, there's a strike. You're always dodging strikes these days. And it's just you're just always on your tippy toes until you're actually on the plane and it leaves the airport. I just, I can't take all the trouble with the airlines these days. It just seems to be never ending between pilot strikes and baggage strikes and immigration at the airport strikes. It's like, it's really hard to travel. You know what? That's never I know, but it's mind. like, <laughs> I've had a lot 
of when I was coming back, there was a strike in Barcelona. Um, I just, I, I, thankfully I was flying with a particular airline that wasn't using those baggage handlers. So my flight was able to come in and, you know, I was just by the skin of my teeth, I was able to come in, but I'm finding that a lot lately. And I mean, I'm not saying these people have a right to strike their, their work conditions are probably horrible. Everybody has the right to contest their work conditions, but from a travel point of view, it's getting much more difficult to be a traveler where your flight arrives on time and, or you get it at all because they're not striking. So yeah, I, I guess I should pay more attention. Yeah, I go, um, I go to the website yeah. and I go and see what are the strikes that are coming up so I can anticipate it to know which airport. Because I can pick Madrid or Barcelona, Alicante or Valencia from where I depart. So I look to see what the upcoming strikes are and what the unions are saying. So I avoid a lot of it. Are you the globe trotter yeah. in your family? Are you are you just or in your yes, group of friends? Yes, both in my family and in my group of friends. I'm the globe trotter. They call me that all the time. If I'm thinking of moving to Spain, what okay. do I need I'm to know? I'm going to go quickly, but I think there are very relevant things that a lot of people probably don't talk about. There's a lot of information out there. First of all, if you want to know how, what to look out for moving to Spain, there's tons of blogs and Facebook groups. So if you want to know information, just go on there. But for me, the number one thing is don't come to Spain if you don't have money. Don't come poor. Have money. You're going to need money right away to rent a place. You're going to need money to do certain documents. Have money. Don't come here poor expecting you're going to get a job and that's how you're going to survive because it won't happen like that. So come with money. Um, if you're coming to Spain looking for a job, if you don't have very specific skills, like for example, in IT and have like a very high level of Spanish, you're probably not going to find anything that's going to pay your rent because the salaries here are quite low. So it's better to maybe have an online job where you're a remote worker and you can just kind of come to Spain, but your work is somewhere else. Is working online looked at, is it easy to do there in Spain? Because I feel, I sometimes I feel like the US was kind of it, pushing this thing, it's but it's not, not, it's not well as easy. Known. I was talking to an, um, she's actually from London too, and she just moved here and she's a remote worker. And she was discussing how it is difficult to get a lot of companies to understand what remote workers are like, what they can do. A lot of companies don't understand it. So I wouldn't say it's as easy as people think it is getting remote jobs. It's not. So definitely have your job stuff lined up before you come to Spain. Don't come here thinking, I just get a job and I get there. You're going to be uh, on the next plane back home, you know? So whatever it is that you can do yeah. to make it that you can live here, but still have an income, just do it. Don't expect your income to come from Spain. Rents, that's another thing. If you're coming here to rent, rents have gotten extremely high in Madrid, Barcelona, and now Valencia, because Valencia is becoming very popular and rents are just skyrocketing. And when you do want to rent a place, if you don't have a secure work contract that your landlord can look at to see that you're getting a monthly income, they probably will not rent to you. Yeah. Interesting. And they like to see traditional work contracts. If you're self-employed, they might not rent to you because they don't see that as um, some like that as a real job. Stable. It's true. They're just like, <laughs> nope, that's not guaranteed. You might not be working next month. I want to see a work contract that you work for this country and you get paid this much every month. So, you know, you kind of have to suss out your work situation before you come here. Because if you're self-employed, 
it adds a whole other level of things. And if you are self-employed and you come to live in Spain, you have to declare yourself autonomo, which means that's the Spanish equivalent of being self-employed. And it's a very large fee here in Spain that you have to pay every month, whether you make, whether you have profit or not, you pay this fee every month. And it's quite high. It's one of the, it's one of the highest in Europe. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that they come here they register, they become resident because they want to live here. And then they're like, oh my God, I have to register as autonomous. Oh my God, it's 300 euros a month. Yeah, they have it's a discount money. now that you can start out. I think it's 60 euros a month for a certain amount of time. And then it goes up a little bit. But after about 18 months, 18 to 24 months, I'm not sure. You'd have to go and look at this online. You'll, you will start paying the full mm-hmm. whack and it's over 300 a month. So if you can't, wow. if you're not bringing in yes. money, you're not going to be able to pay that and then pay your rent and all that. So something else you have to look into. So that's part of making space. Yeah, and- it's the nitty gritty. It's the money side of things. But, you know, money is important. You have to have it if you want to have a certain lifestyle. And I think a lot of people want to move to Spain to enjoy the lifestyle that Spain can offer. And you cannot do that if you are poor. Good to know. Yep. Yeah, so perhaps not the best millennial. There's a lot here. There, I won't say that. There's a lot of digital nomads here. I know quite a few here, and there's a lot of co-working spaces here. But I mean, they've had trouble getting rental contracts, and maybe they're not staying here as a resident. They're only staying here for maybe four or six months. So. That could be the uh-huh. tricks because if you're not resident here, you don't have to pay your taxes here. You don't have to be autonomous here. So then it's when you become resident here, a lot of things change. Your tax situation changes. Um, your um, If you're self-employed, the fee for self-employed changes. So if you want to become resident here in Spain, research how it's going to impact you before you come here. And it depends on if you're, it's different for Americans than it is for Canadians. Yes. So you really have to look at that because your tax situation and work situation will change when you're a Spanish resident. I love it. Thank you. This is this is cool. I have learned so much. much. Thank you just for being so honest. I I, yeah, because it is hard. It can be hard. But I mean, there's there's hope. I think so. Right. Thank you so, so much for your time and your honesty. Okay, great. Thanks. Bye bye. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Enterprising Expat. You can help the show grow and reach more people by sharing this episode with your friends, supporting us on social media, or leaving a rating and review in whatever your favorite podcast catcher is. Cheers, and I'll see you in two weeks.